So welcome back to episode 11 of the DSC podcast for 2020. My name is Nathan, and together with Boris, we're going to bring bringing you a, a jam-packed episode today. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, get into it. Boris, how are you, mate? Yeah, well, thank you, Nathan. Um, Good. Been, I've been really well. This is the first week back after my injury rehab, and I've been I've been loving it. I can chew on chew food on both sides of my face and not have to worry about it. And, you know, I've been eating something other than soup, which has been pretty good. And up and goes. It's glad, glad you're back out and doing yeah. some running uh, under an hour. Yeah, well, trying to get back into it. Just got to take it slowly and make sure I don't injure myself <laughs> jumping back too quickly now. Yeah, yeah. How about yourself? How's, uh, how are your legs going? How's everything going with yeah, you? Well, yeah, legs aren't too bad. I've, I've taken a bit of a hiatus for a couple of weeks just to take it easier, just a little bit of a sore foot and um, a few things to work through there. But I'm, I'm back out running and um, just busy with work, actually. So that's been sort of taking most of my time up. But um, hopefully that'll, uh, that'll ease a little bit over the coming weeks. And um, yeah, we'll, we can get through this latest lockdown. But um, yeah, it's about yeah, it. Exactly. Really. Well, we haven't got much really to discuss in terms of club news. It's kind of just same, same at this stage. Same, same. Off the off, uh, last episode last week, um, we ran through a fair bit of stuff. But um, no, not too much else to report. But look, we could keep chatting all day. But we've, um, we've got a pretty special guest, don't we? This week. Maybe, maybe the most established runner we've had on the podcast. Maybe. We don't want to be... Um... We don't want to be getting ahead of the gun. We've... Coming we've in some, with not a lot of research. Pretty, we've had some pretty big uh, athletes uh, on That's the Wheel Now segment already. But this is, um, yeah, this is, this is another step. She's a, she's a dual Olympian. There you go. Among many, many other accolades. Yep. Um, so pretty excited to get this, uh, this athlete on. Yep. Should we jump in? Yeah, let's, uh, let's jump straight into it. And um, it's a really good, um, really good insight on, on where she's up to now. So uh, here we go. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, we're pretty excited to uh, introduce uh, the next guest of the Where Are They Now segment. Um, Natalie Harvey is going to be joining us today. And we've, uh, she's the current 5 and 10K record holder for the DOC club. Um, she competed with us back in from 1994 to, to early 2000s, but she's headed over to the UK and she's just come back. So we've tracked her down. She's back in Australia. We're uh, looking forward to talking all things athletics and um, what she's up to now. So Natalie, welcome to the uh, DIC podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. <laughs> it has, it has. And um, no, it's great for you to join us. And um, what, what are you up to now? So you, you've come back into Australia? Yeah, so um, I've been living in the UK since 2000, um, pretty much permanently all year round. Um, and then decided that with my family that we would come back, um, sold everything, renting a house out in London um, and move back to Australia on the 1st of January this year. Yeah, wow. The great yeah. 2020. So um, <laughs> I'm not quite in. sure yeah. whether it was... <laughs> foresight or good or bad or who knows yeah. um yeah it's been quite an interesting year for everybody but um yeah. yeah particularly interesting for us as well well you've probably you've just snuck in if you if you thought about it any longer you'd probably yep. battle to get back in the country so um yeah i mean i'm kind of glad that we kind of got in and settled a bit before yeah. the craziness began because i think if we'd got caught up you know reading some other stories of people that were moving at the time um you know we've kind Pretty of traumatic. we kind of got in got settled a bit yeah yeah um and kind of living through it like everyone else and just um yeah doing what we can really but um yeah we're managing so <laughs> yeah good Good, Good to reconnect with some um, my old athletics club. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. I don't know if um, well, we started this podcast this year and, and one of the ideas was to bring back, you know, past athletes and um, members of the club to see what they're up to now. And, um, yep. you know, you competed at, at two Olympic Games, which we'll get to as well, which, is, which was um, huge. So maybe we'll, we'll take it all the way back to the start and, um, and yep. understand sort of how did you get into athletics and, um, yeah, yep. take, it, take it from there. Yeah, so um, pretty much my dad worked in the bank. So um, I pretty much grew up primary school in Sydney, um, always did little athletics. That was what we did on a Saturday morning. Um, yep. Used to go to regionals at any event from hurdles to race walking to whatever was kind of I was doing at the time. Um, and then we moved to sailing country Victoria um, when I was in year seven. Um, so I was about 12 
kept doing athletics because that's what I'd always done on a Saturday morning to make friends and just always was sort of reasonably good, a good school cross country and distance runner. Um, and then we moved to Melbourne in 20 in 1990 yeah. when I was 15, um, didn't know what else to do, kept doing athletics. Um, and my dad was working in the bank um, and he knew Ken Green at um, Glen Huntley Athletics Club and he yep. knew Ken was really keen on athletics. So he said, oh, my daughter's really good at running and we're moving to Melbourne. What club should we join? Um, and Ken decided, decided to send us to the rival club Doncaster. Um, and he's never lived it down since, to be honest. Um, so I think he probably thought he's a pushy parent, you know, saying my daughter's really good. Um, and then um, I guess he kind of regretted it later because um, they probably would have preferred me at Glen Huntley, I'd say, rather than Doncaster. But um, and we're glad yeah, to have I was you. really lucky. Yeah, really happy to have you. I think I was lucky. Um, and yeah, found Tom Kelly down at the track. Um, yep. And yeah, it kind of just kept rolling from there. What, what are some of your earliest memories of the club? Like, do you remember some of the sessions you used to do when you, you first came in and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, so I've got really, to be honest, I used to go to school in queue. Um, I would get on the bus. I still have really strong memories. Get on the bus. I'd have an orange on the bus. <laughs> I don't know why you would have an orange on the bus after school on the way to the track. Um, I'd get off the bus. I'd walk to the track with more of my stuff. Um, we'd meet and we'd stretch on the the railing that's still there outside the tuck shop um, and I'd meet all the other athletes from different schools. Um, mm. Tom would be there from four o'clock. We'd all get changed. We'd have a chat, um, meet John's group as well, um, go for our warm up. Um, some of my fondest memories are kind of 150s. So, you yeah. know, six by yeah. 150s. Tom loved his speed. So there was always, which was great. Like yeah. I look back now and I just think, you know, that was just the best thing as a 15 year old. Yeah. Um, so lots of speed sessions, 150s, the short hills up the back, um, up the back of the track on the, the gym. on the, yeah, up to the yeah. gym. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. so that one also, <laughs> what else can I remember? The 150s and the hills I really remember. Yeah. Um, and then also just going out for runs, um, with any, you know, any would do like Sean Quilty, Rod DeHyden, Luke Russell, um, yeah, loads of John's group um, and also the young guys um, from Tom's group that I used to train with, Christian Ashby, um, then other athletes like Kate Myers, um, yep. Murray Harding yeah. was always there. Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone really just, um, it was just really social and, you know, I used to go there Monday to Thursday, Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, you know, Tom was there six days a week. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was great. And what was it like? training back then i mean it was that was the early days you didn't know but i mean that was kind of the time you were at the club was kind of the heyday where it was packed full of olympians yeah. and super high level athletes yeah. self included what was it what was yeah. it like being at the club during that period um i mean i think it just was like routine so you just mm. knew that every day this person turned up everyone right. turned up everyone just everyone was friendly um everyone got on with what they were doing um and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of technical or um, we just had a really good routine and it was just consistency and routine, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the sessions weren't, I think, you know, I was sort of a developing athlete. So I was kind of those few first few years, 15 to 18 years old. Um, I had done a program from a previous coach um, and there was certainly a lot more volume in there. Um, so I think I was really lucky that, Tom didn't kind of push the volume, but the speed, you know, there was a focus on speed. Um, and then as I got a bit older, I'd go on some camps and things. So I then started going to like junior camps and went to world juniors, um, saw what others did kind of, you know, in consultation with Tom, we'd kind of then gradually up my mileage. Um, and from those camps, see that people are running twice a day and, you know, yeah. kind of just, yeah. it was just re a real gradual progression. Um, and just, yeah, learning from camps and things that, you know, Tom would sometimes go on with me um, yeah. and just learning from other athletes and gradually pushing the volume um, as I needed to and moved up the distances. But, but there was always a real focus on speed. Um, yeah. And I'm really grateful for that because I think um, that was just so crucial. You know, you really realise that as a track athlete. Um, yeah. And I think as a youngster, I've just seen now, you know, you can do the volume and yes, you can be a faster 
5k runner at you know 16 or whatever but you can never get that speed back um and i think Mm. that speed was what gets you into teams you know you kick at the end um and it just gives you much more range like you say i you know ran everything from 15 i could always run anything from 1500 up to 10k yeah um and i just i loved 1500 but i knew i wasn't quick enough but i could still jump in one and you know (laughs) try and kick and i ended up training um after Tom, when I was in the UK, I was um, coached by Mark Rowland and um, trained with two 1500 British 1500 meter runners that came fifth at the Olympics. So they were pretty right. fast. Yeah, right. So it was probably lucky I had a bit of speed because otherwise <laughs> I would have really struggled. Um, but even he, there was always some speed. So yeah, so that was a really good sort of foundation. Well, touching on that, maybe we should just give a brief rundown of, of some of your PBs. While, yeah. we're, uh, while we're talking about how fast you can run. I mean, your 15, uh, 1500 meters is 4.13.24, although you, you suspect yeah. it might be quicker than that. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I'm still trying to work out. It's between 4.10 and 4.13. That probably is right, to be honest. Um, but I, I mean, I kept quick. running 1500s mm. all the way, you know, even when I was running 10Ks and stuff. I loved yeah. running a 1500 and I'd always beg to run a 1500. <laughs> And I'd always do one before I ran my 10K PB um, in Norway in, I think that was 2000. Right. Um, I ran a 1500 the weekend before and I vividly remember running this 15 and that was always a really good sharpener, you know, just bang out a 1500, doesn't take much out of you, but just really kind of gets that rhythm and speed going for anything. So yeah, I enjoyed those. We've got the uh, the three thousand meters of eight fifty three sixty three, which you set in the UK, I believe. Um, so I actually did that in Lille um, in a Grand Prix. I mean, I oh, think right. you know one of the main reasons for moving to the UK um, was just for competition. Um, my boyfriend at the time lived in the UK, so. I was lucky enough to be able to have somewhere to base myself um, and then had some contacts in terms of getting an agent and things like that. So I was able to access races reasonably easily. Um, And it just meant that, yeah, so I went to Lille and had a really good, that was a really good competitive 3K and, you know, it's easier, you know, I was given lots of opportunities all the way through my career. Um, In the early days, you know, Doncaster A grade was fantastic, you know, the, you know, improving my PBs as a junior. And then um, as I progressed, the VAS, you know, gave me opportunities to go to Grand Prix, yeah. um, interstates. Um, and as a junior that, you know, progressed all my PBs at that point. Um, and then the next progression was to go to Europe. You know, that was the only way to yeah. run faster, yeah, um, yeah. you know, cause it did kind of, you're racing the same people, you knew who was in shape, you yeah. know, the, the yeah. domestic Grand Prix get to a point where actually, you know, you just need to go somewhere else. So um, I was pretty lucky that way. We've uh, moving on. We've got the five thousand meters of fifteen fourteen. Yeah. So that was um. So Boris and um. So no. Who was who's been to Houston Zolder? Yes. Yeah, so I've been to Houston. My Houston. favorite <laughs> meeting in the world is up yeah. there. Yes. So Houston Zolder is a tiny. It's actually. I'm not even sure it's a town. It's an. No, it's in the middle area. of nowhere. In yeah, so it's an industrial area in Belgium um, and it's a tiny track. It's got, um, I think it's got a grand, tiny grandstand. Yeah. It's a bit like right. Doncaster Athletics Club, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's got a little forest out the back where everyone warms up. Beautiful. Um, and the weather is unbelievable at that time of year. It's yeah. always still, they get athletes pay to go there now they used to kind of put people up but people actually beg to go there um they just get big fields great pacemakers great conditions um and it was just known for and at the right time of year so Mm. the timing of the meet is it's kind of at the end of the season just before the cutoff for qualifying times so my 15 14 i've been gradually my coach um so after i was coached by tom i when i moved to the uk um i was lucky enough to be coached by mark Rowland, the um steeplechase bronze medalist from great britain oh yeah yeah and um he was brilliant at just getting us um really peaking at the right time of year so you didn't run fast early on there was always a real build through the season um and i always ran fast at the end of the year um and houston's older 
was always great timing and we always worked towards that 5k um and i still remember that 5k because i just felt great at halfway i got to 3k and i was in a group and i was just clicking off the laps and you just a feeling of, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was just one of those days Especially on the track <laughs> yeah um and then finished and you know big pb i missed the qualifying time for the olympics um it was 2004 missed the qualifying time it was 15 10 um, and there was already someone that was an A qualifier from Great Britain. So I knew that right. I had to do sub fifteen ten. But I always, athletics was always about improving my PB. I ran a PB. You can't yeah. do any more than running a PB. Exactly. Um, and I think I learned that from little athletics. You know, you just, you could only improve on your own times. <clears throat> um, and as long as you put in the work and the consistency, it either happened or it didn't. And I was, to be honest, I was happy I ran a PB and there was nothing more I could do. So I've run, my, I've run my 800 PB there too. So there, there yeah. we go. It's, there we go. I, was we in the, some... I was in the pre pre meet. I don't think I, uh, yeah. I was about two hours before everything started, but nevertheless, I still ran on the, the track oh. and um, was a part of it. So. Yeah, no, it's great. Cause I used to have also the races all at the end. So I, we were yep. often doing like doping control until like one o'clock in the morning right. and there'd still just be these 10 Ks and five Ks, yep. just hundreds of people just it was like a huge running. Crowd. Crazy yeah. crowd. Um, no, that's when I went over with uh, Eddie and Tommy came with, with, uh, with us on that trip. So oh, he, wow. he got to, uh, to go to the track and that was probably the, yeah, we yep. did sort of six weeks over in Belgium and that was, um, yep one of the last meets we did and probably one of the best meets, I think just uh, yeah. there was a lot of people there and everyone just loved it. So yeah. And the crowd's just amazing. Like, yeah. and just, they have the beer tents and yep. the music and <laughs> it's totally um, different to Australia. It's <laughs> just, yeah. It's just like a real social event. Um, yeah. and, um, and we actually went back when my son, we went back and watched cause, and my oh, husband's wow. been back with Craig Mottram to watch him run there. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, we just, it is our, one of our favorite meets. So. Oh, good. Crazy. Yeah. And do you remember your 10,000 meter uh, PB was 32.07.44 and 2000? Yeah. So that was, um, that was another favorite. Um, so I really do remember that one. It was basically, we were looking for a 10K because I'd been injured. Um, so the summer of 99, 2000, I was based in Canberra um, and I sprained my ankle. So I had like a chronic ankle instability and um, Achilles tendonitis. So we kind of got through, kind of got sort of semi-fit um, and managed to get to Europe. And then we're desperately looking for a 10K, um, which has always been the case. You know, there just weren't many 10Ks around. Yeah. Needed the qualifying time and my agent called up and I'd run at this 1500, like I mentioned, um, on the bank holiday weekend. And yeah. my agent called up and said, there's a 10K in Norway on Saturday. Do you want to go? And I was like, <laughs> yep, we'll, yep, we'll go four days yeah. time. That's fine. <laughs> we were ready to go. Um, my coach, you know, we were kind of in shape um, and you just had to go. There was no choice. Yeah. So jumped on a plane, got to um, a small town in Norway called Sandefjord. Um, and it was the Nor it was the Scandinavian 10,000 meter championships. Um, right. And they were trying to get a field together because there was a Norwegian girl that wanted the Olympic qualifying time. And there was a Portuguese girl called Ana Diaz um, who also needed the qualifying time. And there was me. So there was three of us from three different countries. Um, yeah. They put on a pacemaker yep. and basically we shared laps. So we had a pacemaker up until about, I think two or three K um, and she sat at set perfect pace um, and then agreed with these, um, with the Norwegian um, and the uh, Portuguese girl that we would just take laps. So we shared two laps, I think, um, two laps, yeah. two laps, two laps, two laps, yeah. clicked them all off and um, got the qualifying time. Um, and we all got the qualifier. So it was just brilliant. Like, yeah, yeah. it was a great feeling. That would have um, been amazing. And it was just a track in the middle of the forest, like literally <laughs> yeah. few Scandinavians around, um, you know, that it was a Scandinavian 10K championship. So there was a few other girls running, but um, not many. Um, and the men's race was just a Scandinavian um, kind of affair. But um, yeah, we were just stoked. And um, the Norwegians were just overjoyed that we'd come and, you know, helped out. And um, we all, you know, got our goal and, got to, all got to the olympics so um yeah it was brilliant like it was a really great a really fond memory yeah and so. and on, on the olympics um you went to two so you went to 96 yeah. to atlanta and then in sydney tell us tell us about tell us about that and probably the question leading into that is when did you think 
you know, you could really make a go of this? Was it was it when you went over to the UK or or before you went um, '96 you went to the Olympics? Was it then you yeah. knew that this was going to be your kind of deal for the next few years? Um, yeah, no, it was really because I know you know lots of people kind of. Like you hear stories, oh, I dreamed as a child I was going to be an Olympian yeah. and all this kind of thing. And it really wasn't. It was just a progression. Like I yeah. just, I enjoyed running. I enjoyed my sport. It was really social. Yes, I was good at it. I enjoyed the travel and the teams and kind of just setting goals and achieving them. And running came quite naturally. Um, yeah. So 96 was just like luck that they brought in the 5K. Like it was literally just kind of been in the right place at the right time um had gradually been kind of working from 1500 up to 3k um at the time not many you know not many people had kind of done the 5k that was only so the qualifying race the nationals was my third 5k ever so I kind of started (laughs) off I think around 16 minutes for my first one and then did another one and maybe it was in the 1540 highs I think um, and then clearly remember, I think there was a British girl, Jill Boltz, um, who now lives in Australia and she, um, she was trying to get the qualifying time. So again, people were trying to get the qualifying time early for the Olympics or out here what, training. What was it? What was the qualifying? So I think it was 1535. So yeah, I basically right. ran a PB, came third and ran 1533 and made the team. So yeah. it was like, it was like, I wasn't really, I was running, you know, I was kind of, running the trials because that's what you do that's your peak of the season yeah hoping to run as fast as I could I can't remember being having my sights set on making the Olympic team I didn't really yeah it kind of just happened and I always just raced really well I didn't I wasn't necessarily the best at training um but I was I think competitive and you know once I was in there I quite you know just got competitive Mm. you had to race well I think that was what Tom Tom didn't kind of construct how you did the races. Um, he wasn't one to say, oh, let's do it this way. Yeah. Um, he right. really did leave the kind of the tactics and how you coped with the racing. He, he really instilled a lot of independence. Um, mm. And I think I've met athletes since then that just haven't had that instilled at a young age. And then when you go to travel, you know, your coach is not always there. Um, So you, you had to learn your own skills and you're in the middle of a race. You can't dictate what's going to happen. Like you have to make those decisions. I I guess what, what Tom had is you'd done the work and he knew you'd done the work. So if you're in good shape, you, you know, you put yourself in a good position to handle things um, during the race. So you're right. He was, he, he wouldn't give you much. He would just uh, smile there and smirk and um, (laughs) (laughs) you knew what you had to do. And um, you knew when you was pretty wrapped after the race he'd come up to you but um yeah he uh he yeah. wouldn't say too much before I, I was actually i would always go to him tom what do i do yeah how do i do this he wouldn't give me much so he <laughs> no. just pat me on the back and say you'll be right laddie and yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and i know and at the time you kind of think oh you know he should have given me more or yeah. you know some people try and construct a race and you just too can't. much though isn't it you, you don't um, know yeah so no so i do really now again that's something i really look back on and i think actually he did just you know you just left it up to you and i worked it out and you know and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't but um most of the time you know so 96 was kind Mm -hmm. of a bit of a bonus um i didn't really expect to be going to the olympics um it was my first year at university so i then had to try and work out how i was going to go away and um I ended up taking a year off university, which I don't know whether it was that year or the next year. I'm 94, 95. No, I did first year and then I took second year off university because I couldn't manage it with the travel. Yeah. So I um, worked part-time and just kind of ran that year, um, went away to World Cross and then, um, and then the Olympics. Went back to university, um, finished university, which I'm really pleased about as well. I think that's something that Tom, there was kind of just an expectation. You kept doing your education at that stage. Um, When I was doing athletics, like most of the athletes were still in education. And and then... What did you study, by the way? I did physiotherapy. Right. So it was pretty full on. So Mm -hmm. I was in clinics like full time. So you're pretty much the last two years at university working full time. Um, Yeah. So I had to be fairly organized. <laughs> like we're talking, so drive to the Austin hospital, run at 6.30 in the morning, have a shower, 
go to like do clinics all day um, or be on the wards or whatever you were doing, um, yeah, finish yeah. the day, go straight to training, train again, um, go home and yeah. It was, um, yeah, pretty full on. So, and then I was lucky when I moved to the UK, my coach, um, everyone I trained with, even the guys that were on like lottery funding and stuff in the UK, they both worked part time. So we all worked, which was okay. um, yeah. really good as well. Yes, yeah, so, that's a good system. Yeah. Sally, you said that you were better at racing than training. Do you remember some sessions leading up to either the 96 or the 2000 Olympics where you thought, I'm, I'm in really good shape now or did you kind of just get to race day and then um, you know, got to have so a really big crack? 96, um, I used to really thrive off. So like 96, I went up to going up to Falls Creek um, for altitude. So altitude always yeah. worked really well for me. So the way that worked with Falls Creek um, and I remember like Tom taking groups up there and then um, once I was kind of in the senior team, then we'd organize a house um, and we'd be in a house together. So just that training in a group for three or four weeks up at Falls Creek yeah, really, really always brought me on because it was just doing that volume, I think, that I didn't necessarily do, um, uh, yeah, when I was kind of at home. Uh, yeah. You know, it was just a bit more volume with a group, yeah. so that always yeah. worked. Um, and then probably into 99, 2000, um, I lived in Canberra, um, was kind of based with, I uh, lived with Sean Crichton, um, who was good friends, um, with my part, my husband now. Um, so I lived with Sean and I actually learned lots about training from Sean, um, how to do easy runs are easy. Sessions are hard. Um, yeah. You need to get your long runs done. Doing them in a small group is really helpful. Mm. Um, and just that consistency. It's not about kind of putting it all out there and training. It's about being consistent. Um, yeah. Doing all your exercises. Um, had to do a lot of rehab that year. So I did a lot of strengthening actually instead of necessarily running. Um, so 90, 99, 2000, I wouldn't say they were my best. I think sort of... Um, I actually, my gram, I was injured a lot through um, sort of 2000. It wasn't a great, um, although I managed to get to the Olympics and run that 10K PB. Yeah. Um, I did have quite a few injuries on and off. And then actually my grandma was in intensive care the week before the Olympics. Right. So I actually Jeez. had to come back from the <laughs> training camp into Sydney and saw her in hospital and, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was pretty, you know, it was an amazing mm. experience, but I wasn't in great shape, um, unfortunately, yeah. you know, sort of at the time for either of them and 96, I was really young and it was, it was quite challenging to be away and training with the seniors and, um, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, I, I wouldn't say the, the memory of Sydney was amazing. And like, I still remember the opening ceremony being under the stand, walking out and the noise, yeah. Um, and you know, Kathy Freeman's 400. Um, yeah, so yeah. I have sort of fond memories, not necessarily of my own um, sort of performance wise. I was probably disappointed. Um, whereas actually, sort of 2004, like my 5K PB, getting everything right at the right time of the year, um, yeah. you know, and just being in shape at the end of the season when you're trying to qualify and things, that was yeah. probably from a performance point of view more satisfying. Um, whereas there was kind of some injury frustrations in those few years, um, leading up to the Olympics, but yeah, um, 99, actually I ran the world champs in Seville and ran really well and just missed the finals. So that right. was probably performance wise, a better year for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just up and down, you know, some great memories of some road races. Um, I ran a brilliant five miles at Balmoral Castle, and ran 26.43, which was really far, you know, quite fast. Just yeah. again, hit it yeah. on a great day. And, um, you know, racing against Paula Radcliffe, rooming with Paula Radcliffe. At, you know, <laughs> so I actually roomed with Paula at a track meet one year. And, um, right. yeah, and no sort of Mo Farah and, you know, Joe yeah. Pavey and lots of the British athletes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah had some brilliant sort of years in, in Great Britain as well. Um, yeah. And doing cross country and track, you know, cross country and road races and everything, you know, just brilliant experiences. Yeah, you you raced competitively, well, you, you have raced competitively for a really long time, from <laughs> like nearly ninety four to I think twenty fourteen. But there was also some races on uh, in maybe in twenty seventeen as well. Yeah. Are there sort of takeaways for the, some of the listeners of, of things that you've learnt over racing for that like that much time yeah I guess I mean kind of running was you know it was a real I 
I, 2004, I tried to make, so basically what happened, I moved to the UK in 2000 because um, my partner was living there and I just wanted to be in Europe. Um, yeah. And so, and then had a few problems with injuries. So I hadn't run for Australia for a year and then decided that um, I got a British coach, just was living in Great Britain, wanted to be part of sort of the British system. And it was really hard to make Australian teams because you had to come back to Australia for the track season. Yeah. And yeah. having done yeah. sort of track track for so many years, so basically sort of 99, 2000 um, and 96, I did track, you know, all summer and then all winter. And as a distance runner, it's just really hard to do track all year round. Yeah. Um, and I did quite enjoy cross country and road. So kind of made that decision 2000, 2001. Um, you had to sit out from competing for Australia for two years. Um, and it kind of worked out after the Sydney Olympics that I think I was a bit injured in 2001. Didn't make any teams. There weren't any teams. Um, sat out. Oh, that's right. 2002, I think I... I went to the World Cup in South Africa for Oceania. Missed yeah. the Commonwealth Games team, actually. That was a massive disappointment. Um, wasn't selected for the Commonwealth Games. Went to the World Cup and got really ill a week. Really fit, then really ill a week before the World Cup. Oh, um, yes. Super disappointed again um, and kind of made the decision there that um, I was changing to run for Great Britain. Um, and because I was based there, it just wasn't really making sense and finding it hard to do all the travel. So yeah. um, 2004, I got my British passport, went to World Cross Country, ran for Great Britain. And basically, we got the bronze medal, the British team. But if I'd been running for Australia, it was the year that Benita won in Brussels. And if right. I'd been scoring for Australia, they would have got the bronze medal. Oh. <laughs> and it was my first competition for Great Britain. Luckily, the Australians are still talking to me. Yeah, right. Um, but basically, whichever team I was on, I would have got the bronze medal. So it didn't matter. But um, basically, Great Britain got the bronze medal and Australia didn't. They came more. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they were all you know, they knew me really well and they all took it pretty well. So, um, yeah, so that was an interesting year. Well, Benita, Benita's uh, um, national record just got broken the other yeah. day. So, yeah. yeah, no, I but saw Jessica that. Hull. Yeah, yeah, no, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, there's some, um, yeah, there is some really good young athletes around at the moment um, running on the track. So, um, yeah, no, I'm sure she'd be really excited. So, yeah, Benita sort of kept in touch with Benita and used to yeah. catch up with her regularly in London um, over the years. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that was 2004 and then yeah. and what then happened after I, that? So after that, I then moved sort of 2004, missed the track team. 2006, I ran the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne for England. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, so I was still, yeah, so I came back to Melbourne and ran for England at the MCG. Oh, yeah, um, 1551 you ran? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had some back. I was sort of starting to get a few left tips back issues at the time from running around the track yeah but was really pleased I made the team and it was a great experience again um and then moved up to the marathon so late a few months later I ran the Paris marathon I think 2007 I ran Paris yeah and it was 32 degrees and it was <laughs> a shocker so yeah pretty much stopped at 20k because it was just horrific uh -huh. um and then 2008, again, tried to, was sort of marathon running, um, ran London Marathon, attempting to make the British marathon team, yeah. which was pretty competitive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, had back and hip issues. So sort of started having some sort of, um, yeah, sort of injury issues at the time. So, um, and then my son was born in 2009. So started a family. Yeah. And then kind of... Um, Toyed with, you know, once you, you, until you've had kids, you don't really, you know, know, understand what's involved. <laughs> um, so kind of wasn't sort of did try getting back running. Um, but again, just had, uh, we did go, um, we quite enjoyed going up to the mountains in Europe. So going to Font Rameau where the British athletes go altitude training. So had yep. done a little bit of that um, for the marathon and, um, and then just taking the family up there and sort of doing some training and just enjoying. Um, and we still actually went for summer holidays to Font Rameau 
with the family because yeah. we just love we're just a really active um cycling walking yeah, running, anything in the sunshine and the you know just being outdoors so so kind of just you know bits and pieces I actually ran Paris I always wanted to run Paris Versailles so my husband was like well why don't you do that and um so I did Paris Versailles one year where you run from the Eiffel Tower to the Versailles Palace. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just bits and pieces that, you know, if I got fit enough, then I kind of would do it. Um, and then just to be honest, physical and mental health, like I have to admit, yep. I do appreciate now the benefits of, um, I'm a physio, I work with people that aren't as capable, you know, anywhere near, I'm an Olympian, but you know, like with lots of different challenges. So I'm sort of working with um, NDIS or aged care, um, that kind of sector and um, just have learned over the years, you know, we're lucky we can exercise and Mm. the benefits, like the physical and mental benefits, especially this year with COVID and lockdown, um, to be honest, everyone needs to try you know if they can do physical activity and they need to be enabled to do it then it's really important so um yeah just been that gradual realization and i'm lucky that i can run because it doesn't take long and you can Mm. get out for half an hour and there's loads of benefits but i do have to do more rehab my body's not quite what it was so um having to do my own rehab as well is a challenge like yeah trying to keep everything in one piece you um you skimmed over there on you moving to the sort of longer distances, but you didn't cover yep. on your extremely impressive half marathon time or times, I should say, yeah. that you set. <laughs> You've done quite a few half marathons and they've all been, I mean, yeah. your slowest is 117. Yeah. Um, hour 17. Your fastest is hour 12, 27. You got four between an hour 12, 27 and an hour 13 high. That's yeah. incredibly impressive. Yeah. That's, yeah, no, that's I didn't. Very, very yeah, I'd probably say I didn't quite hit. I didn't do a lot of half marathons, um, and I probably and really disappointingly, actually, I went to Abu Dhabi for a half marathon, and I was promised it was going to be at six o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> got there five days early to prepare, and then they told me it was at two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, oh dear. And so I wasn't, so I decided that as I was preparing for the London marathon, it wasn't a great idea to run a half marathon at two o'clock in the afternoon in Abu Dhabi in February. Yeah. Um, So they had a shorter race. I kind of did that and kind of got messed around when I was really fit and actually really ready to run faster than I think the 72 that I did run. Um, So I came back and sort of ran a half marathon five days later and ran the 72, but that was kind of off a plane two days. And just after being in Abu Dhabi for a week, um, it wasn't the best preparation. Um, so it's probably, so probably fast. I didn't mention it because <laughs> it's an incredibly it, fast time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think at the time I did think I could run faster. So it's probably, um, yeah. And I did, I ran Paris half marathon. I mean, I ran some great half marathons, yeah, you know, yeah. some great cities and things and had some brilliant opportunities. So I'm just, I'm kind of grateful. I had those chances. So, yeah. I mean, after, so you've got two kids now, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, after, after your first, I'm just looking at, um, for the listeners out now, Power of 10 is a great little website, which is run by the British athletics um, community, isn't it? About, uh, yeah, the yep. governing body. Yep. Yeah. Governing body. And it's, and it's given, it's got a great timeline of every year and, and you, yep. you did your, you did the British Milers Club and stuff like that. Did you? It looks yeah. like you've competed a fair bit. Yeah. So I did, you know, I did try and sort of get back running and um, after the kids and just to, you know, great way to get out, but I was kind of working part-time as well. And I have to admit, I was, I didn't want to deny that once you had the kids, I was kind of like, I want to be a mum. I I don't Mm. want to sort of, you know, drag myself between. So I found it challenging to kind of, um, and it was difficult to get the, what I found was doing the rehab, you know, the rehab, you know, people just don't realize like the rehab, the treatment, trying to keep your body in one piece um, after all those years just gets more challenging. And those were the things that I wasn't doing those little things. And once you're not doing those, then it just all starts to fall apart really quickly. So I did have a few back issues and things by then couldn't um, haven't really been able to run cross country or hilly. I can't really run up and down hills too much. So um, just have to be a bit smarter about where I run and how I run and um, trying to do a bit of rehab. Were you, (laughs) you, yeah. Were you content though? Like coming from such a, 
um, illustrious career. Were you content though? You're, you're happy just going out and running now? You've yeah, I, um, I kind of toy with how I motivate myself. So I yeah. think that's the challenge is um, I kind of go through phases where I think, yeah, I'll aim for a 10K. But then if I do try and push things too much, then I can't run at all. Yeah. And it's actually interesting. Libby and I have chatted about because we kind of, Libby does like three half hour runs. Libby Dwyer, who ran 800 at Doncaster as well. Yeah. Alan um, used to be Alan, yeah? Yeah, she used to yeah. be Libby Allen. Yeah. Yep. So she so we're kind of talking about we need to try and get three or four runs in a week and if we only do 30 minutes 30 to 45 then we kind of stay in one piece and as soon as we start to push it or do a bit more that's when things fall apart so it's just trying to get that balance and i'd have to do more strengthening and get more treatment so it's just trying to work out what i can do with the resources and everything time um energy yeah uh yeah so exactly. it's just that balance so i sort of do in the back of my head i think oh i'd love to like just do the local half marathon or something but um it's just yeah i'll just see how it goes i'm not um it's just grateful to get out really at the moment it's yeah. just trying to work it into the week so no, good call yeah. where did you live in um in england um, okay. So we were based in uh, south of London, just on the outskirts of London. So okay. yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, really beautiful countryside, like great running, um, yeah. um, plenty of green open spaces to run on and stuff like that. So I was really lucky in that regard. And yeah, and um, and you're enjoying. I mean, the pandemic this year has been a bit tricky, but you've got back into Australia. But you're settled a bit now, where you're living. Yeah. In yeah so we're loving i mean i'm really glad we um so i used to when i lived in donvale i used to run on the mullamullam creek trail yeah. quite a bit before yeah. it was um all paved and like yeah, we used to I jump jump fences my brother and i used to jump a fence to get through to westerfolds um, oh, really? where there is now a concrete path that everyone quite happily runs along yeah. so we used to jump yeah. a six foot fence right um, to continue my run through to westerfolds um so Back in the day, I used to run there all the time. Um, yeah. But on a weekend, I would, Saturday afternoon, I would quite often for my second run, drive to Warrandyte um, and do a 30-minute run on the river. Yeah. yeah, right. So we'd kind of always, my husband and I, whenever we visited, we always came to Warrandyte just for a, like a visit, just yeah. enjoyed kind of the cafes and the scenery and everything. Um, and so we'd kind of just picked Warrantite like when you're trying to pick somewhere to live it's like <laughs> it's kind of like where do I put the pin yeah. um and so yeah we've got well because Libby um lives in Warrandyte so we yeah. knew a few people in the area yeah okay. other friends sort of in the area um it's a lovely and, spot yeah it's lovely Beautiful and it's been great um for the kids like mountain biking the kids are always out on their bikes all the other kids are out on their bikes yeah. Um, and that's what we kind of struggled in London. We partly moved for the lifestyle was just trying to find other kids that could ride their bikes. <laughs> like yeah. there just isn't that, um, people just aren't outside as much. Um, yeah. the weather's not as conducive. I must admit, I'd forgotten how mild the <laughs> Melbourne winter is. <laughs> like everyone keeps telling me it's cold and I'm like, you've got no idea. No. <laughs> it's not cold. It's not wet. Um, you know, we have these lovely sunny days all yeah. the time. Um, yeah, yeah. and I just, yeah, the kids are just outside having a great time. Like most of, even in the pandemic, like we've got yeah. bushwalks on our doorstep. They've been, you know, we've discovered all the local walks and yeah, it's really, um, a really great community. So yeah, we're pretty pleased at the moment. So it Good. could be much worse. Yeah. Do you have a favorite sort of 60 minute session that you can give out to everyone that you're happy to, um, you're happy yes, to give out for everyone. So, yeah. It so might've been one um, that you did back in the day. Yeah. Um, so I think I used to, I lived in Ballarat as well. So I, when I finished university, I spent six months living in Canberra, um, six months living in Ballarat. Um, and I really enjoyed, all right. Oh, um, right. Talk to the kids. Yeah. yeah. The kids are, yeah. They're just, just, mommy, mommy, mommy. <laughs> Um, so probably I think like monofart, like, I mean, everyone says yeah. it, but it's yeah. just, it's such a it's simple a session. It's like 20 minutes. Um, mm. and I did that all through, like, I did that a lot, um, through my career, probably from sort of 98 all the way. Right. Through. 
the 2014, like you could always <laughs> do a monofartlek. Um, it did give you a really good indication of fitness and things. Yeah. Um, and it was so great in terms of like, you could make it more speed, you could yeah. make it more tempo. Um, or you could just, you know, when you were flying, it was just a bit of everything. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'd say monofartlek, like the 290s, 460s, 430s, 415s. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, just a easy, great session to do. Yeah. So yeah, probably one of my favorites, um, yeah. or 400s on the track. I did quite like the 400s with the two float. Um, yeah. that was kind of quite a staple as well, to be honest. Um, yeah. Have you been back down to the track? Since you've been uh, yeah, so actually, um, we went one weekend. Um, the kids, my son loves long jump. He's just obsessed oh, with good. long jump. Yeah. So he just like goes to long jump pit and practices and practices and practices. My daughter's a bit more of the runner. She's probably more a natural kind of runner. So she quite yeah. likes running fast. Yeah. Um, so we did go down and actually there was a, um, it was a little athletics regional meet. Um, so I did bump into Kate Myers, who I went oh, on. Oh, we had her on the podcast the other week. So. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd been, so we did swap numbers and we we're like, oh, we'll catch up. And that was pre COVID. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I did sort of see a few, you know, a few faces and then actually we went down, I think one of the, um, the BMs, the Milers meets, we just took the kids down and kind yeah. of walked around and yeah, um, good. yeah, just enjoyed. Yeah. The kids quite like, sort of just yeah having a look at the track and everything so yeah. um sort of showing them but haven't yeah that's a couple of times but not really well you'll have to um we're getting some new lights and there's a few exciting things happening down there so um yeah you'll have to yeah you have to pop back down yeah no we will don't worry we will <laughs> yeah. when you can exactly yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's not in my 5k radius unfortunately so <laughs> just outside yeah <laughs> so um yeah no i know i look forward to it and i think um my daughter yeah the kids will definitely sort of enjoy being you know trying something so yeah, yeah. and you have to put a little note in your calendar it's the club's 50th anniversary next year yeah yep. no i um, heard i know yeah. colleen said yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. We'll, we are in the process of yeah. organizing the yeah, uh, celebrations tricky. Still trying to figure out how we can do it with all the restrictions and everything. Be, like it's probably looking late next year, if, if yeah. anything, can, yeah. it might get pushed to the following. But um, yeah. I think Kate actually mentioned um, in May next year is actually when the club sort of turns 50. But um, oh, okay. it's yeah. going to be tricky to hold it in May. So, yeah, let's something next yeah. year. But, yeah, you'll have to get along yeah. to that for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll still be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Oh, so dear. what's uh, what's our plans as a sort of a final wrap up? What's plans for the future? You're, you're back, you're working now, you're settled. Um, what's new? Yeah, what's new? so um, sort of settled. So I'm working full time. My husband's found it harder to find work um, just with what he does. Um, yeah. So he's become full time dad and um, yeah. homeschooling, parent, teacher, everything, oh, which has cool. been interesting. So we've had a full um reversal role reversal yeah um so yeah so we're just um kind of settling into warren diet and just yeah. yeah working out where we're going to be and what we're doing so um yeah it's been a tricky um yeah just trying to every time we kind of get a bit settled every like everyone has you know you kind yeah. of get a bit settled try and work out what you're doing and then yeah. um, things change again so um, but definitely pleased. I think that we're here. It's been easier, you know, with the kids getting outside and, um, the schools have been, uh, really understanding education in the UK was a bit more challenging. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've kind of been really lucky. So yeah. So hopefully next year, um, yeah. So running wise, just, I'm trying to be a bit more consistent, trying to, um, <laughs> trying to run as regularly. So I've been good this week. I've done three or four runs and, um, I've got a few exercise buddy buddies lined up now, which, um, I found really hard to find in the UK as well. I think the attitude of like general mums are much less fit, certainly compared to where I am here. Like yeah. in Warrandyte, there's so many of my friends that are, you know, going out regularly doing exercise. And I just think that's great. Like for my daughter, I just, I want her to see, and I want the kids to see that people are just generally active and they, yeah, yeah. you know, they go out and exercise and that's part of their weekend. Whereas we actually found it hard to find people to do that with. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, so right. it's just, it's a really different dynamic and, um, just wanted the kids to be more active, you know, not necessarily organized sports. So my son's not into organized sports. So if you're yeah. not 
you know, and then if other people around you aren't into just that more being active and going for a mountain bike ride for the fun of doing that, mm. then yeah. it just makes life more challenging. So yeah. And it's just better for everyone's mental health, to be honest. I've really, um, yeah, yeah. the benefits for mental health are, are massive. Um, and I think just underrated, although I think people are recognizing that more now. Yeah. So, um, Definitely. yeah, I work with some mental health uh, clients as well and, trying to um the changes through COVID and the difficulties that people are facing in being isolated um mm. and what exercise can do for people and their understanding of what they can do and empowering people to do to be active even if it's a walk around the block yeah um has made you know makes a massive difference to an 86 year old little old lady's life who's you know <laughs> just who thought mm. she couldn't go out her you know I had a client who just she thought she wasn't allowed to go out her front door um and just yeah. teaching her that she can go for a walk down the street and back again and you know just empowering people to I help them understand what they can do safely and then to see them doing that regularly and the positivity that that adds to their life um has been really interesting and it's a passion you know i just trying to empower people to do something that will make them feel better well, that's so, a that's a perfect uh summary and recap and definitely yeah. for for everyone listening um going forward to do that and get out when they can but for yeah. sure it's been it's been great to uh to get to know you more and um you know i appreciate you coming on the podcast it's been great today yeah, great. Thank you. Lovely to meet you guys, <laughs> no, part of the Doncaster crew. I feel like I'm back again. <laughs> You're back. You're welcome back. So, no, thanks. Thanks again, Thank Natalie. You. That's thanks great. So time, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, Boris. It was great to catch up with uh, Natalie today in today's episode. Yeah, that was um, that was awesome. She's just had such a long career as a runner, and it's it's great to see what she's been able to achieve through all that time. So. Yeah. And where even, she's you know, now. even having kids and, mm. and everything else and still having such a, you know, prolific life as a, as a runner, it's been great. And it, and it shows, I mean, she put it really well there at the end of the episode, what running can do uh, for you off the track and for your mental health. And uh, the fact to just get out there and run is, is still very, very much a part of her life. And um, yeah, totally. it's coming off the back of, you know, two, two Olympic games and almost a, a third as well. Um, so it, it shows for, for the listeners out there, keep running and it'll hold you in good stead. Yeah. And even, even having those accolades, you know, she said it herself, it wasn't about going to the Olympics or getting golds or anything like mm. that. It was, it was just about beating her PBs and, and running yeah. fast. So. Yeah. And she loved it. I mean, she that's loves a great it way now to put it. still. So, um, you know, you can, you can chase things. And I think she just did it in a stride, really. She just kept at it and, and, and good right. things came. So, um, you can't push it as well. So very much a, um, a great member to have on and, and hopefully one that can be back down to the club in the coming years, um, being back in Australia. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So uh, there you have it. We'll, um, we'll get to episode 12. So we're racking up the episodes. We'll, we'll do a, we're not sure what we'll do yet, but we'll definitely bring you something uh, in the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll have something. <laughs> we'll have something. We'll have something. We're trying to track down a couple of, couple of where are they now uh, segments. So we're, um, leave that with us. We're doing some investigated investigation work. Doing some, doing some digging, trying to get some contact details. Uh, yeah. If anyone would like to help with that, please get in contact with us. Thank <laughs> you, Colleen. For yes, Colleen's been helping. Yeah, Natalie Harvey's given us a, a couple of ins as well. So um, we'll track them down and, yeah, we'll bring it to you over the coming weeks. And as always, shout out. Give us a yell if, if you've got any suggestions or... Um, any people that you, you think might be good on the podcast. So that's right. Get in touch. There you have it. Another episode. Thanks, Thanks Boris.